All right. We're going to start in John's gospel, and we're dealing with the person of the gospel. And a good place to go to deal with the person is to the gospel of John. It's probably as good of a gospel to go to to find the person of Christ as any you can go to. And we were in a number of teachings in the last few years or last couple of years, we were dealing with the church, which is his body. We dealt with the definition of the Christ, who it, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And just to catch our minds back up to that a moment, Jesus said, I am over and over again. So he defined who the Christ is himself. I am. Whom do men say that I am? Well, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And then in John's gospel, Jesus says, I am. I am the way, the truth, the life. I am the bread that cometh down from heaven. I am the door. I am the resurrection and the life. And on and on. So he defines himself in the book of John. Now, many people say there are seven I am's of Christ. I might, that may be right, but there may be eight. Because he also says, I am come. And that's what we're going to deal with tonight. I am come. In John 10, verse 10, or verse 7, excuse me, we're going to get to verse 10, but start verse 7. Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes not, but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. All right, this word, I am come that they might have life, have, could have been interpreted from what I see in the definition as hold life. Have life, hold life. And I like that. In order to hold life, because life is Christ, we've defined that many times. He had to come. If he didn't come, we couldn't hold life. We couldn't be in life unless he came. It would be impossible. Okay? Absolutely impossible. But now that he's come, we can hold life. We can have life. 
We can be in life. We can be filled with life. Now the thief comes, but for to steal and kill and to destroy. I've heard people say, well, the thief here's not the devil. I'm not so sure that's true. I'll just put it out there. I'm not so sure that it's true that it's not the devil, because when I come to the Scripture and begin to explore the Scripture, the law never came to kill us. We were already dead. The law came to lead us to Christ. The Bible says the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, the the problem with the law, if the law had a problem, was us. Said the law, Paul said the law was holy, just, and good. That's what Paul said about the law. But we were not holy, just, and good in ourselves. So I want you to hold on to this thought. I have come that they may have life. And I hold on to the thought that the thief comes to kill, to steal, and destroy. And I'm wanting to run ahead on that. But I'm going to hold that thought and go to Luke's Gospel 4. Luke 4 says, verse 17, And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah, I know the King James says it's Esaias, but that's Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, all these things that Jesus come to deal with, deliverance, healing, recovering of sight, and, and, and bruising, you could say is in death. That if you're living in these things, we could say that's death, couldn't we? Jesus says, I have come that you might have life. So in life, you could see, you could see that what's declared to us is the good news. Okay. You can see that what happens to us is he heals our broken heart. He delivers us from captivity. He gives us sight that we can see. And he sets us at liberty from the bruising of sin. Now that's in life. To preach the acceptable year of the Lord, he enclosed a book and gave it to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of them all were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, this day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. Now, on a personal level, 
If you've had a personal encounter with the Lord Jesus, he has brought you from some level of death to life. Okay? I have come that you may have life and have it in abundance. And I could even say the abundance of life would be not being blind, spiritually blinded, naturally blinded, however you want to accept that, not to be bruised, not to be brokenhearted, not to be in unpeace, but in peace. Now, life is always opposite than death. We can all agree with that. Even in natural life, natural life has some level of animation to the natural body. Does it not? Sure it does. Natural death has no animation to the natural body. Because when the soul or man dies, there's no animation to the body anymore. Body doesn't get up and walk around. At least we hope not, right? When someone's dead. No, it goes back to the dust where it came from. We just leave that there for now. But let's go in this thought, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Well, where, where do we find the first instance, I guess, in our Bible of this happening? Is all the way back in the book of Genesis. Well, when I come to Genesis, to the book of Genesis, and I'm going to start with chapter one, and we're just going to go through the first, first few verses. And chapter one, verse one, and we're going to go on down into chapter one. But in verse one, it says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God divided the light from the darkness, and God called the day, the light day, and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. When I look at this word, light, and darkness. When I look at the word darkness in the Hebrew, it's 28, 22 in your strongs. It means the dark. Figuratively, it means misery, destruction, death, ignorance, sorrow, wickedness, obscurity, night. So all of that can be contained in that word. And so God moved on the face of the waters. And the Bible says there was darkness upon the face of the deep. And God said, let there be light. 
and there was a separation with light and darkness. Whether that was just natural light and natural darkness, whether that was God and the devil, there was a separation of light and darkness there. Now we're going to ask the Spirit of the Lord to teach us. I'm going to say something about the book of Genesis, and and I and I could be at fault here myself. Sometimes we may try to read more into the book of Genesis than what's there. Just going to say that to you. In the first few chapters, we may try to make it say more than what it says. Maybe it means more. But if you're like me, I've spent a lot of my Christian walk trying to figure out the first few chapters of Genesis. Okay? If you start searching the Bible, there's something in our hearts that'll take us back to the book of Genesis, when the beginning God created. Now, God was before the beginning of the earth. So, what all was before the beginning of the earth, I can't tell you unless God shows me. And you probably shouldn't believe what I tell you unless I can bear it about from the scripture. Okay? What I can tell you was before the beginning of the earth was God. Now, I can tell you that. So in the beginning was God. In the beginning was the Word, John says. So that was in the beginning. So not only was God in the beginning, his mind, his will, his thought toward creation was from the beginning, which was the Word, the Logos. That was from the beginning. That was from before he ever made a man. That was with him from the beginning. And according to the Apostle John, that was him. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. It was in the bosom, the heart of the Father. So in everything he said, when he said, let there be light, it was toward the thought that's conveyed in John 1, everything he said. So when he made light, it was toward Christ. Now, if that separation of light and darkness is Christ and the wicked one or Christ and the enemy, okay. I'm all for that to be true. Because if you study Genesis 1 close, you'll see that light appears in the earth at least I believe it does, before he makes the sun, moon, and stars. So what was the light that appeared? It's a question before the sun, moons, and stars, where Jesus later on says, I am the light. But when I come down here in the book of Genesis, in verse 14, 
Say so up here, verse 1 through 5 is the light. Well, verse 14, God said, let there be lights, plural, in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night. Now, even the light up above come from heaven. Notice that. Let there be light, and there was light. That light came out of heaven and divided the light from the darkness. Well, here God hung lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night. That's how we know, as a natural man, daylight and night. And he says, let them be for signs and for season and for days and years, and let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so, and God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. And God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth and to rule over the day and over the night, and to divide light from darkness, and God saw that it was good. Notice this. God is dividing light from darkness, which he does up above. The lesser light to rule the night. Okay. Then down to chapter 1, verse 24. And God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature after its kind, his kind, cattle and creeping thing and beast of the earth after his kind. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind and cattle after their kind and everything that creeps upon the earth after its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man and his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I've given you every herb bearing seed which is upon the face of the earth. And every tree in the which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed to you it shall be for me. Now, I want to start off with the word image here. Because if I study Greek words, and mo many of us do, I probably should study Hebrew words too. Make sense? The word image means to shade. Now, what that means fully, I won't tell you I know, but it's from an unused root meaning to shade a phantom. Example, figuratively, an illusion, a resemblance, hence a representative figure, especially an idol. Now, I want to ask a question, because people have said Adam was made just like God. 
If I read the definition of the word image, does that sound just like God? A phantom, a shade, an illusion, a representative figure? No. This is what I mean. We may read more into this than what's really here. Just maybe we don't, but I'm just saying maybe we do. So he made Adam in his image and his likeness. And the likeness means a similitude, a figure, a figure like resembling a form, a pattern, something resembling. And the word likeness comes from another word, 1819, which means to be like, to resemble. So Adam was made to resemble God. Now the question comes, how did he resemble God? That's a question. I ain't telling you I have all the answers to that, but I'm going to throw one at you. God gave him dominion. Okay. Can we see a resemblance in dominion? Why? Because up, up above, before he made man, God himself would have had dominion, right? Sure he would have. So until man was placed in the earth, God said, let there be light, and there was light. God did all these things he did, but now he's given man dominion. Get a hold of this for a minute. And I really want you to see this. I've said this many times. He didn't give him dominion in heaven. At least what I can tell. He gave him dominion in the earth. So when I come here and look at this, Adam's made in the image and likeness of God, and he's placed into the earth, male and female, so Adam means mankind. So mankind is placed into the earth. When I go into chapter 2, I get a little more of the story. And you can read chapter one, chapter two as two different encounters. Maybe, maybe true. I've done that myself. <laughs> so it may be exactly true. Or chapter two could be a greater explanation of chapter one. Could be either way. Now, who knows that for certain is the Lord? Because this is his book. <laughs> So, so he knows it for certain. You and I may not, but he does. And what he's given us is he's given us his spirit that we might know. So I, so I have to approach him and even things difficult to understand, and I'm going to be a little longer than usual tonight to get through this, but I have to approach him A couple things I have to do when I approach him with things is one, I have to be willing to let everything I think's true go. I don't care if I've lived it my whole life. 
I have to come and sacrifice it to the Lord. And I have to accept what he shows. I don't care if it's completely opposite of what I believe. I have to be willing to let go what I think I know. And I have to accept what he shows me. And I found that principle in my walk with the Lord to just be rich, that I'd be willing to lay everything down to know what the Lord knows. And I believe we can know it. I believe he has given us his spirit that we can know all things, yea, even the deep things of God. And I think we know all things of God, even the creation story by the person that came, Jesus Christ the Lord. Okay? So here we go. So we're here in Genesis 1, and we got a man now. And Genesis 2, we get a little bit more of this man. God breathed in his nostrils, Genesis 2, verse 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Now this right here, Scripture, you could probably say has created a lot of doctrine right here. This one verse of Scripture. The breath of life, some people says, is the Spirit of God. That God breathed his spirit in Adam, and Adam became a living soul. Now, if that was true, then Adam should have been a spiritual being. Okay? Maybe it's true, maybe it's not. Let's leave that alone. Another thought here. Breath of life could be oxygen. Just a thought. In natural life, if you have no oxygen, what happens? You die. Doesn't take you long to die if breath is taken from you. They put you in a hole with no oxygen. Won't take you long. Because a vital thing to the natural body is breath. So God breathed in him the breath of life, and he became a living soul. Now, I've heard people say all kinds of things here that Adam was just like God. I don't think so, but that's me, okay? So here we have Adam with the breath of life, and he's placed into the garden. Because I think if he's just like God, he would have defended that garden, to, for one thing. So here he is in the garden, and the man became a living soul, and the Lord planted a garden the eastward in Eden. And there he put the man whom he had formed, and out of the ground the Lord God Made, out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that's pleasant in his sight and good for food, the tree of life in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So God planted a garden. Now down here in verse 15, 
And the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a help me for him, which we know he made Eve. Eve came forth of his own flesh. Out of his own inwards, Eve came forth. Now, what sparked my mind, God told the man to keep the garden. If I look up the definition of keep, and this is the way I am, I, I probably am going to look it up. If something stands out at me, I'm probably going to look it up. Well, in that definition is guard. Why would Adam need to guard the garden? Just a thought. But he told him to guard it and keep it. Now we come into chapter three and we've got Eve on the scene now. So we have Adam and Eve. And we come into chapter three and it starts off and says, now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. That word subtle means cunning in a devious way than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. So here you have a nature right here in the beginning, right here in Genesis three, one, you have a nature different than God. So you have God in, Genesis 1 and 2, being good. And now you have a serpent that's subtle, cunning. Than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Has God said that? A good answer would have been yes, and I'm going to obey him. But that wasn't the good answer. And the woman said, Unto the serpent we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. You ever read where? Jesus said the devil was a liar from the beginning. So what does he do here in the beginning? He presents something different than God. You notice that? He comes cunningly. And what he presents is something different than God. So automatically what's out here is different than God. And he said, well, did God say that? Did you hear God right? Is this what he said? And then the serpent goes on and says, You shall not die, for God does know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as God's, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant 
to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her. And he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves apron. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and hid myself. And, of course, we know the rest of the story here. So Adam was afraid of God. Now, isn't this something? He moved from a position of no fear to fear. His eyes were open to no good and evil. You can say before, he only knew God. He didn't know good and evil. So his awareness was not good and evil. Even in a natural sense, his awareness was what came from God. Now he has another awareness about him, and that's good and evil. And this is probably the awareness that man spends most of his time in is good and evil. Jesus didn't say, I'm going to teach you how to be good and not evil. He said, I have come that you might have life and have it in abundance. So I'm getting back to where I started. Jesus, the Bible says in 1 John, 1 John chapter 3, this is very important tonight, 1 John chapter 3 says of Jesus, little children, verse 7, Make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. What were the works of the devil? The devil came and deceived Eve. The devil brought death upon all men. So the Son of God has come to destroy the works of the devil. Okay? So Jesus destroyed his works. How did he destroy them? He was obedient unto death. That's how he destroyed the works of the devil. He was obedient unto death. Now, if I go to Hebrews chapter 2, Hebrews 2, verse 14 says, For as much then 
as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him, that hath the power of death, that is the devil. Same thing as up here in 1 John 3. The Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. He came being partaker of his flesh, of the flesh, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death. That is the devil. And deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took upon him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself have suffered being tempted, he is able to secure them that are tempted. So regardless of the proper definition of the devil, and I'm praying the Lord gives us the proper definition of that, Jesus destroyed his works. They're destroyed. They're disrobed. They've been dismantled. He defeated them. So everything that happened in that, to Adam in the garden does not apply to you and I in Christ. Doesn't apply. Okay. So when I say this, you, we get a lot of buts. Okay. About but Jesus. That's what we need to get our butt to, is but him. He destroyed the works of the devil. Apostle Paul writes, he has translated us out of darkness into the gospel of his dear son. So we're moved from darkness to light. We're moved from death to life. All of this is in a person. Hear this. I have come that they may have life. Because in the person of Adam, we did not have life. In the person of Christ, we have life. We currently have life right now in the person of Christ. That's what Jesus said. I have come that they might have life. So we pass from death to life. Now, I only do one more scripture because of time's sake. Go to Romans 5. Romans 5. 
I might quote more than one, but I only do this set of scripture. Romans 5, start verse 12 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all sinned. For unto the law sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come, but not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more through the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by the one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For by one man's offense, death reigned by one. So by Adam, death reigned. Much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. He that took the sin of us upon himself. We talked about this in the beginning of this study, that he was the exchange. He, he that knew no sin became sin. Therefore, verse 18, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all the condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound, that as sin have reigned unto death, even so might grace reign unto righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. So death reigned. Get a hold of that. It had dominion, had dominion over man. But now righteousness and life reigns by one man. All right, how do I get that righteousness in life? Paul said it's a free gift. Okay. What's a free gift? Something given to me. But how do I personally? Receive that. The apostle Peter, in the book of Peter, and I don't have this scripture, but it was coming to me strong, where Peter told the believers, you have obeyed the gospel. You ever read that? The obedience of faith. What do we read in the book of John? I believe it's John chapter 1. They did not do what? Receive him. The men loved darkness rather than light. So how we are obedient is we receive him. 
That's, if we want to call our own obedience, there it is. We'll have to plow on into this probably next time, but the obedience, we have the obedience of Christ and the work of Christ is to every man. So it's to the whole earth. So he does a work that's available to every man and woman, every child, everyone that breathes this oxygen in the earth. So how is it accounted to some and not others? You could say, well, in Jesus Christ, it's counted to all. But then how do some partake of it and not others? Obedience to the gospel. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And in that word save is so is so, so such a big word. Shall be delivered, be delivered from that age by calling upon his name. See, if I don't call upon his name, although he has paid the price for every man. Although he has bled and died for all creation, it comes down into enjoying the salvation by obedience of faith, calling upon his name, receiving him. Okay? So when I receive him, I'm translated by the power of him out of darkness into light. Now, if I don't have him, I don't see light. You know, if you ever sit amongst people and you've talked to them about God and the goodness of God, and they look at you like, I don't know what you're talking about. The truth is they don't. Because if he's not resident, if he hasn't taken up a residence in them, they really don't know. Because the way I know the goodness of God is God has taken up his residence in me. That's how I know the goodness of God, because God is in me. If God isn't in me, I don't know his peace. I have no ability in myself. See, see, you can see this picture with Adam in the garden. I'm trying to end because I've been close to an hour, and I usually try to keep myself about 35 to 45 minutes here. Adam in the garden. God would meet with Adam in the cool of the day. Now, a lot, of, a lot of people have read a lot into even that scripture, the voice of God coming in the cool of the day. What I see there in, a guard, in the garden was even though Adam was innocent, Adam had no sin, I do not see, and maybe my eyes aren't open to it, but I do not see where God was in Adam. And Adam was dwelling in God. I see Adam as a representative figure like the word image <laughs> means of the relationship we now have in Christ, except we're not in a representative figure anymore. 
Adam was the representative figure. The old covenant was the representative figure. We're now in the place where God dwells in us. We're in a better place right now than Adam ever was. Because we're living in the sanctified, glorified Christ. He is our life. Not a, <laughs> not a garden like that. If you want to hear, if we can hear it, you want to hear what the garden of God is. It's you and I that he's planted his seed in to bring forth the fruit of God into the earth. In fact, the apostle Paul tells us that. He says he's a fellow laborer in the garden of God. Now, what he was laboring in was the believers. What's he laboring for? Till Christ be formed in them. Till Christ come forth. Till the garden would produce a crop. And the crop that God's after is love, peace, joy, righteousness, gentleness, kindness, meekness. The fruit of the Spirit. That's what he's after. Well, anyway, I could go on and on, but that's the mind of the Lord, and he's brought us into Christ to get his fruit. Anyway, I'll stop right there, and we will, I'm sure, pick this up in the near future. But let's start right here.